This is your pal Daffy Duck, and you're watching. You're watching. We're watching. You're watching Fanboy. 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 Fanboy, etc. Fanboy Nation. God, I assume Tom. The last time I spoke with this woman, I believe we were at Comic-Con for DC Lego Super Villains. This time around, we're on a whole new adventure for Havens and Catherine Tabor. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. This is totally different from a Lego video game where we're just having fun. And the bad guys aren't as bad. They're just, uh, you know, cantankerous pranksters. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're a Georgia native. The story takes place in Georgia. Did you get to go home and film this, or was this more Hollywood trickery and you really filmed it in Alabama? No, we actually did film uh, in Georgia, and um, it was it was amazing. Yeah, I did get to go see family, um, but it was hysterical because uh, in part of the film, the night shoots, actually, it was the coldest Georgia had been on record in, like, hundred years or something crazy. <laughs> of course, it can't just be you know normal normal Georgia weather when you're there visiting grandma. It's got to be like yeah. forty degrees below when the first time it, it snowed in God knows how long. Exactly, and uh, yeah, and we had already shot some of those scenes, so I was not wearing a coat. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, that's the magic of movie making that we were actually freezing our butts off, but you can't really tell. <laughs> Well, there's also more magic in your life because not only have you been Padme in the Star Wars franchise, but you've also been Princess Leia. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, I feel really lucky like to have played both two of my favorite female characters in the world, not just in the galaxy. So, <laughs> If you're not Baby Yoda in the animated version of Mandalorians, <laughs> I'm really going to be upset. I have a feeling that will be, I have a feeling that there will be other people who would be better suited for that, like a D. Bradley Baker or someone who makes adorable creature noises, so. D, D is absolutely amazing and probably one of the most humblest voice actors there is. Or though it would be, or although it would be funny if it was John DiMaggio doing a Bender impersonation. Yes, that would be funny. Well, <laughs> and actually, D, Dean's probably too busy, so like, maybe it will be John. <laughs> Right. Well, it can't necessarily be a Bender impersonation, but a Bender-esque voice since he is that. Yes, exactly. Uh, before we get back to the movie real quick, the, there's word that Star Tours Detours is finally being released after an eight-year uh, wait. How does that feel? Is there actual word or is it just a leaked episode? You know what? Let's just say it's word so someone forces Mickey's hand on this one. I mean, I would be so happy. Uh, it's hysterical. I was just talking about it like the week before that episode got leaked um, with the guys at Rebel Force Radio. <laughs> and I, I texted Jimmy Mack and I was like, or emailed him and I was like, uh, did we talk about details? Because all of a sudden there's a leaked episode. Um, but And I've been joking for years. Like, I just wish someone would like drop off a box of, you know, the real somewhere. Um I love that show. I want people to be able to see it. Uh, I think it's just something totally different and so funny um, and so smart. So I hope it. I hope it gets released. That would be thrilling. And I am Princess Leia in that, so um, I would love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you a voiceover question real quick, as your cell phone rings sure. in the background. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's eight years removed from Star Star Wars detours. And now uh -huh. you get to go back and listen to the old episode, you know, or episodes, whichever, whichever is going to come from this uh, leak. Um, 
do you go back and criticize your voice work eight years later since you've been doing this for quite a while? That things develop, things change. You could have picked up a smoking habit for all we know. But in this situation, um, Seth and Matt and Todd, the director, everyone everyone knew what they wanted. So this was definitely one where we were crafting something specific that they wanted. So I feel like um, I feel like it will hold up. Uh, she's you know she's kind of a brat. Um, <laughs> it's a it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I I don't know if I would criticize my own work i probably will watch the show and not watch my own parts as much so (laughs) (laughs) well going with that you mentioned that when filming haven's end it was the coldest winter in 100 plus years in georgia was there ever a moment that you sat there and said you know what if i was in my booth i could fake being cold instead no because i had so much fun and i got to do stunts and all of that stuff and um it sort of combined, actually, one of the first times where I was doing some on-camera work that felt like it was, you know, kind of sci-fi, um, horror-y related as opposed to just really straightforward. Um, so that was really fun. It was like the best of both worlds. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, I'd probably rather be cold and out there doing stunts and getting to light flares and all kinds of cool stuff like that than than be in the booth if I had the choice. Um, But really, it's just like the story of the character, like, you know, that's the most fun. Like a boring story or a boring character, whether you're in the booth or out of the booth, is boring. And a good fun one is fun, whether you're in the booth or out of the booth. (laughs) Right. Well, with the the film itself, we're not going to give too many spoilers outside of the trailer. Uh, right. It gives it this feel that along for the ride in the film, we're never fully sure if it was a uh, intergalactic attack or if it right. was a neighboring nation that's on our planet. And I'm going to say neighboring nation because I, me- I mentioned intergalactic. And you can't get much right. closer than planet Earth. like because uh, I, I tell people so our writer Michael Harper says that the answer as to what actually is happening is in the film um, but it's really it's really interesting because there's it, it was really fun on the festival circuit like people would have different opinions about what they thought had had happened and, and that, that makes it like really fun um, so uh, yeah and uh, I, it also leaves it open for a sequel someday so I like that part Definitely. And that's what makes it fun. And, you know, this is a, excuse me, <clears throat> this is a smaller budget film. It's yep. shot locally in your home state. Things are yep. going well. You get to see your aunts and uncles and cousins and whatever else. You know, <laughs> probably didn't even have to put you up in a hotel. They're just like, hey, come stay at the whole family's ranch or whatever. Because we just assume everybody in the South has a ranch. Yeah. Yeah. No, I did. I did get to stay in some pretty crappy hotels, actually, because we were not shooting near my family. So I did. I did stay in some lovely independent film hotels. <laughs> when uh, when you get to do live action in comparison to voiceover, um, you know, people have trouble listening to themselves do voiceover, and then people have trouble watching themselves on camera. In, you know, uh, in comparing their work to, to what they thought was going on in their head. 
Do you have that difficulty either watching yourself or listening to yourself when it comes to these types of projects? I mean, I think a little bit, probably everybody does. Uh, mine will be more noticing like something physical that bothers me. I'll be like, oh my gosh, is that like lock of hair going to be across my forehead the whole time? You know, and then I'll get fixated on that and people will be like, what are you talking about? Um, so, <laughs> so it has a little bit less to do with like performance and more to do with just stuff like that that you can't really control. Um, but I think it is funny. I mean, at this point, I, I kind of know what I sound like, but it still always seems different when I'm like my voice and my physical existence is there together. Um, some, you know, just like a lot of people are like, is that what I sound like? Um, you know, <laughs> so I still do have those moments of, is that what I sound and look like? Oh. <laughs> it, it's easier to hear your voice coming out of, let, let's pick a random character, strawberry shortcake. Than it is. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, or, or Padme Amidala. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or Amidala, or uh, or you know what's it called, or Princess Leia, or many of the many yes. other voices that you've done over the years, <laughs> or arguing with yourself in the booth. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when you got presented with Haven's End and realized that this is more of a psychological thriller than a than a bang bang shoot 'em up big explosion type deal. Uh, what, was, what was your interest in the project? Was it because of that aspect that it played with your head or was it because you got to go to Georgia? Like what drew you to it? Um, uh, the Georgia thing is just a sort of um, icing on the cake. But yeah, I, I love apocalyptic film and literature in general. Um, it's just some of my favorite stuff and it has been since I was a kid. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know what that says about me, but I, I just, I like the idea of like, you know, what happens when stuff's going, you know, crazy and, you know, how do people behave and, and also just the whole idea of like, what would you do, you know? How would you handle it? And I think it's fascinating to watch characters become, you know, different than maybe they would when things are going well. And uh, it's just fascinating. So I like that about this. And I like the, the family background and the interpersonal play between there. And it was also just fun because, honestly, again, you're always kind of guessing as to what is happening and who's, you know, who can you trust, uh, which is that kind of stuff. Is just, it's just interesting to me. Um, but, you know, I did really also, I was really excited about the idea of being able to do some of this stunt work and the fighting and stuff myself because um, it's kind of a dream come true. And uh, that was that was really cool. What was your favorite stunt that you could reveal to us uh, without well, a major plot point? Yeah, there's a scene at one point where I'm fighting with someone and um, there's some sort of grappling and then something happens like with a knife and I, I just went like knife. Um, and it was just fun to do that. Um, it was just fun to have the guys like the, we had a great stunt team and they're teaching you what to do. And I don't know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, who knew that I wanted to be an action star, but I just kind of thought it was really it was really fun uh, because I like I like sci-fi actiony you know fantasy type stuff. It's the kind of it's the kind of film that I've always enjoyed. So to be a, be able to be a part of like kind of doing that instead of just sitting at a table talking to someone was was really fun. Well, it looks like you had a great time doing this, and you got to do some physical things. And I'm saying yep. some as a as a downplay, so people can actually go watch Haven's End. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
the story itself, you know, the world is coming to an end, essentially. It's not zombies. It's not aliens. It's not a domestic terrorist. We're not sure what it is exactly, because saying not is the only way that we can clarify everything um, or, right. you know, keep people confused. Yes. <laughs> or maybe it is. <laughs> you have to watch the movie and see. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> You know, and you're all having fun in this, but this had to have been what, like a 30 day shoot, maybe less. No, and um, yeah, it was less. It was. I really think it was closer to two weeks. I'm always bad with that stuff. The director, uh, our director Chris, like has you know all of that information, but it was it was closer to two weeks. It was really, 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 really fast. And um, that's the beauty on an independent film when it's cast well and crewed up well, and everyone is like a team player and wants to put something good together. Because we had a great time, even though it was a grueling, quick schedule. And the only way you can you can do that is if you have a bunch of good people who are excited about making something. Um, so that's like, I think that, I think that's one of the biggest independent film lessons is like just to be careful about who you hire. <laughs> uh, I feel like a TV shoot because, you know, this is a 90 minute flick. It took two weeks to make. It's basically shooting three half hour episodes at once. Um, right. You know, does it have that TV vibe in that regard? I mean, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of feels th that way a little bit. But the funny thing, too, you know, um, we we had a lot of issues with weather that, you, that, you know, we had to overcome. And I think, like, on a big TV shoot, you know, they would work around that in a different way. We would be like, okay, we have to, you know, be like we, we have to get X scene today because we're moving locations and it just started raining. So somebody throw up in a big tarp so it doesn't look like it's raining on them, you know? Gotcha. <laughs> and a lot of ingenuity. Well, it forces you to be more creative in certain aspects. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that was the beauty of a great crew. Uh, my my big thing is is that I judge independent films on a different criteria than blockbuster films, um, right? Because it's only fair that you guys had two weeks to put this together versus, and I always publicly pick on this film because I picked on them when uh, when it was released, and I'm sure Michael Bay uh, probably hates me if he's actually even heard anything I've ever said with Transformers Four. Uh, yeah, because yeah. we got $350 million and almost two years to make it. And I saw what came out of it. And I was like, really? This is what you gave us for $350 million? Versus, yep. you know, a smaller film that doesn't have the budget, doesn't have the time, but still tells a compelling story, even though the special effects might not be there in some instances. Although this does right. not feel like a two-week shoot watching this flip. Yeah, and I think that they, you know, you do, you do, you try to do intelligent things in those cases too. You try not to have a script that requires a, a ton of special effects. You try to not show certain things. We did have some uh, special effects that were special, um, you know, uh, blowing up some a big important thing in the city of Atlanta was was kind of a cool and interesting thing. Um, but then there was some ingenuity uh, again um, in one of the scenes in in the trailer. Um, with uh, some lights, it, it was just really cool what they ended up coming up with. And it's funny that you say Michael Bay because there's a couple of shots where our cinematographer, um, Brian, like, just had the most gorgeous light flares. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, it's like a Michael Bay shot um, when I ended up seeing it. So uh, sometimes you actually have uh, the cooperation of light and 
all of that stuff come together and, and, you know, and make it look like it wasn't two weeks. Um, <laughs> definitely not two years, but, uh, but yeah. And, and I think that that's a really good way to look at it too. Cause you know, I'm always saying to people too, even like, you know, neighbors or family members, you know, like it's not going to be like, you know, a Michael Bay movie. Um, cause it's a smaller film, but I think sometimes those are the ones that you actually get the most compelling stories out of, um, and, uh, and I think that our director, Chris, did a great job in that case um, with this. And, again, putting together a really fun cast. Right. I mean, you have in the cast – hold on. Let me pull it up real quick. Uh, Hannah Furman, <laughs> uh, Megan Hayes, Robert Colago, whose name I'm going to butcher, so I might just call him – Colago. Thank you. Uh, Anthony <laughs> Wynn, Alex Zuko, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, like, you guys had a very talented cast in this. It worked extremely well. Like when you got to finally see the final pro- product, because editing can make or break a film. Uh, what was oh, your yeah. general reaction to seeing the film, and who did you watch it with? Um, we were able. Chris, Chris got a group of us together and rented out a uh, like a, a room at a bar slash restaurant, and we watched it there. And I don't think it was the finished finished, but it was pretty close to finished. Oh, I know, I know it wasn't finished because there was actually one line of ADR where I'm sitting at the table and he's like, when the scene happens, say this line. So I like did live ADR um, to fill in a line that we hadn't done yet. Um, but yeah, I, so I watched it with a bunch of people that uh, we made it with, and I think that that was also really cool. And not just not just the um, not just the cast, but the crew. Um, and so you know, the writer was there, special effects person was there, um, you know, and just people getting a chance to see what they had had worked hard on. Um, because even though it was a short shoot, everyone worked really hard, and uh, it was a, a sort of just a, a labor of love and fun. Now that that brings the ADR question up. So with anime, you have to. Watch the the cartoon, and anime fans are going to lose their minds the fact that I called it a cartoon, but it's okay. I've been doing that for years. And then try to match the flap of the mouth moving to get the lines right. Here right. you are doing ADR for yourself, not an animated show or feature. Does that weird you out the first couple of times you do that? No, I mean, I think it does some people... ADR is an interesting thing. It is something that um, some people are really good at, and some people are not really good at. And uh, it doesn't—it's not like you know a, a statement of talent or anything. Just some actors are good at it, and some actors are not good at it. I happen to be pretty good at it, and always have been. Like, uh, it's just pretty quick for me to see it and be like, okay, yeah, got it. Um, and uh, and so that was that was that part was easy. And what's interesting, this is a little. Um, sort of Easter egg, because in the credits of the film, you'll see the name James Arnold Taylor, who is our Obi-Wan from Clone Wars, among a million other things. Um, Ratchet and Clank, you know, everything. (laughs) Um, And so I was back in L.A., and I did the ADR for this, which was really minimal, actually. I think there were only, like, I don't know, maybe like four lines or something, and they were really, they were lines where the scenes are pretty chaotic and loud, and so there was, you know, it it made sense. Uh, But I did the ADR at James Arnold Taylor's studio, so. You you now name-drop two of the nicest guys in all of voiceover with James and D. that now I can't decide between, because if anyone asks me about D, who I've interviewed a couple of times, 
you know, nicest guy in the world. You ask me about James, nicest guy in the world. Now I'm pondering, really, which one's actually nicer? No, they're like completely <laughs> on the par and totally level. <laughs> they are. They're, but they're so, like, they're so different, but, they're, but they are both just the most kind and generous. Um, I'm, I'm very good friends with both of them. James and I were texting today. I mean, literally, like... Uh, you know, they're, they're parts of my life. Um, and, and I got lucky by having these guys on my, my first, you know, sort of big show. And now they're like my forever brothers, as is Matt Lanter. Um, and Ashley is my forever sister. So. <laughs> I dig it. And then now you have this movie that's already out on digital and DVD from Milk Freak. You know, Haven's yes. actually got to see you in a completely different light. I mean, you've you've voiced some darker characters before. It's not all happy-go-lucky, you know, Princess Leia, Padme type. You've done sci-fi. You've done all this before. And now it's, you know, the the physicality and being in in the moment that's added to it. So people get to see you in a different light. What would you tell... Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, though, I do think it's funny because I feel like even in the on-camera stuff that I do, that the characters still tend to have like a... Uh, some sort of a, a goodness and a light to them, even if the situations that they're in are really dark. Um, and I and I like that. Like I think that's really I think that's really fun. And I like you know like I will, you know for a while like when you're starting you're like I want to be the bad guy I want to be Darth Vader and then I you know came to realize no I play the good guy and I'm okay with that. So <laughs> I got you. Yeah. At least you're not always a comic relief, so that's even better. That's true. With, with what's going on in the world, uh, you know, Christmas is coming up. Hanukkah, today's its final day. Um, yep. Let's put it like this. Uh, some of us are thrilled that we don't get to see our family for the holidays. Some of <laughs> us are quite sad we don't get to see our family for the holidays. But we do get to watch movies. So yep. those of us that can't be with our relatives right now, why do we need to either pop in the DVD or get a digital copy or pay-per-view of Haven's End? Well, the thing about Haven's End and movies like it um, are it's it's a it's fun and entertaining, and it's a diversion from the darkness of what's going on right now. Um, you know, there are some movies that are dark and they're really serious and you finish it and you feel like you're supposed to ponder things for hours and you're having an existential crisis and, you know, uh, maybe, you know, a, a horse was shot or something horrible and you're like, I can't, I can't even go on. Um, I feel like Haven's End is the kind of movie that I just love, um, you know, again, just being a sci-fi fan and just loving to watch, loving watching sci-fi movies and stuff on the weekend, just sitting on the couch, um, where the story's engaging, the characters are interesting, and it's a fun ride. Um, and so that's why I think it's a great couch, grab some popcorn movie. I dig it. And the movie that left <laughs> you an absolute wreck that shot a horse, which one was that one? I, I'm just saying Shadow Horse. Like, I can't, I can't think specifically of that. I was thinking about the fact, like, whenever I do audiobooks and stuff, I'm always like, does a horse or a dog die? Because that, that's just, like, that's always just the worst. I'm like, you could kill people, but is a horse or a dog going to die in this? Because otherwise, I, um, but, you know, and there's things where I think we're at that place right now where it's like, we're all a little, you know, a little disappointed 
some of us are a little depressed. Some of us, you know, are just like enough already. And so the last thing I think you want to do is watch something that is just really sad and depressing. And so I love movies that are fun and have some action and make you think. And there's like what's happening here, but it's just not like super dark and heavy. And that's why I love movies like Haven's End. Again, like a fun ride. And that's why we love talking to you about Haven's End. The movie that, was, <laughs> that left me a wreck since you kind of evaded the question and were worried about doing audiobooks with dogs, uh, dogs and uh, horses dying. As much as I love Clint Eastwood and Clint Eastwood's movies, Million Dollar Baby just left me a wreck for like a week and a half. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes those movies are great, and it's almost like sometimes that's what you need, uh, you know, on an emotional level. Sometimes you need like that, like cathartic, like cry and just like, oh, like I'm, I'm just, I'm, my heart's broken, my heart's touched. Right now, that is not what we need. <laughs> Right now, we need some big, goofy fun. We need a lot more popcorn yes. movies. We need a lot more animation. We need yep. Haven's End. We need Star Wars Detour to laugh a little more. Yes, we do. Episode. Yes. I am like, I am full on the Star Wars Detour release campaign. I have nothing, you know, I, I have absolutely zero clout, but I will keep talking about it until the day it is released because I'm just so proud of it and everyone that worked on it. Like we, we made something fun and funny and it was the last thing that George was like physically involved in. And, um, it's, it's irreverent and funny, but it's also so truly classic Star Wars because it's made by a bunch of people who know, live and breathe Star Wars. I dig it. Catherine, where can we find you on social media if we want to connect this holiday season? So I am mostly on Instagram as far as being active, and it's at Kat Tabor, so C-A-T-T-A-B-E-R. It's the same handle at Twitter, um, but I tend to be there less. Uh, I just find um, it's a little angrier, <laughs> and I like photography and pictures, so Instagram is a little bit more my speed. Um, and then you can also check out my website, which is CatherineTabor.com. Perfect. If you want to argue with Kat on Twitter, that's where to go. If you want to see her awesome pictures, <laughs> go to Instagram um, and, and make sure you're just contrarian to be contrarian on Twitter to argue politics, even if you agree. I will, yeah, that's the way it works. I will not argue. That's what. That's why. That's why I don't like it. I'm like I'm. I'm not going to argue with anyone. Like whoever. Like life's too short to argue. Um, <laughs> particularly with people you don't know. <laughs> Why joke about that with Twitter? You know, people will argue. I know. Point I know. Still be cantankerous. I know. I mean, people will get mad. Like someone could say, "Like I baked some cupcakes for my neighbor," and then someone will be like, "How dare you feed your neighbor cupcakes? Do you know how much sugar there's in there? And what are you trying to say that your neighbor's fat and they only like sweets?" I mean, and it'll be like, "Oh my gosh, this person never did something nice," and there's like four people who are angry about it. So I'm just like. Life is too short, especially at Christmas, um, because uh, I, I'm a Christian, so Christmas for me is like, you know, it's not just a fun commercial holiday, it's a beautiful holiday, um, and, uh, and and by the way, Happy Hanukkah to everyone who celebrates Hanukkah, and Merry Christmas to everyone who celebrates Christmas. Um, it's just a time of year to like, try to have some joy and some hope, and right. eat some popcorn. Right. <laughs> you know, the baby Jesus is coming, be prepared for it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, like, like, I'm Christian too, so I sit there and like, and people oh, there you go. When, I, when I tell them that I'm Christian and they're like, 
what, why would you pick that religion? I was like, well, my family's from the Middle East. So you converted? I was like, yeah, like in the first century, because yeah. we're the ones that started the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it, 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 that's so cool. Like, it's so funny. Like, I've, I've done several interviews this week, and it's just, I guess because it's Christmas, it's come up, and, like, it, it, there's just more people who are Christian than you realize, um, because I guess, I think Christians get a bad name, you know, or a bad rap of, like, we're all running around trying to tell everyone what to do, and it's really, you know, everyone's got the, the, the people who are making the group look bad, but most Christians aren't like that at all, um, as you know. And uh, and and yeah, this is a this is a beautiful this is a beautiful time of year, and it is a beautiful holiday. And then for you know for those of us who are, it's also it really is a time of hope. And I mean, we could all definitely use that. So I will tell you, and if you want me to leave this in, I will. If not, I can cut this out. Uh, one of my atheist friends told me that I was his hope for religious people. And I had told him that what I've noticed, the difference between my atheist friends and my religious friends of various religions, not just ours, is that atheists tend to become angrier and disenfranchised because they put their faith and trust in people. While us religious people have hope for humanity instead of trust in it. Yeah. No, I mean, and I, I, I say, I mean, definitely don't feel like you need to take it out. This is an important subject, um, to me, actually. And I think it's great that your friend said that about you because you know that that's one of the things that you're, you're meant to do. You're meant to be salt and light for the world. And for people who eventually, you know, whether it's that friend or someone else that is hurting and starts to feel a curiosity and a question about it, then you are someone that they can come to then and say, hey, like, I just kind of want to find out about this. I, I had a friend in the last couple of years who would have been the last person on this earth that I thought would ever ask me this question. But after some 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 time, I hadn't seen them in a while, and I just got a text, and it was like, how do I find a church? And I was literally like, who is this? <laughs> because I was so shocked. And it wasn't because I had ever said, you know, like, let me tell you about Jesus. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with that. Some people are great at doing that. But mostly it's just... You know, you live your life the way that you're supposed to. You try to live your life in a Christ-like way, which means, you know, which means specific things about how you treat people. Um, and then, then you know, that does, it does, it, people in the world do see that. And that's, so that's amazing that your friend said that. And I would say to your friend, um, one of my favorite books on the planet is Mere Christianity. Um, and C.S. Lewis was an atheist. Uh, some of the most, just some of the best—not the best—but some of the, the the Christians who give the best explanations for what it is that we believe and why were atheists, and they're really intelligent people. And he's he's one of the most perfect examples. Um, you know, uh, people. There's a there's an, a, an emptiness in people that we believe, of course, like is there because it's meant to be filled by God. And like what you're saying is actually true. Like, you know, people, people try to fill that, um, in all different kinds of ways. And, um, and, uh, I, you know, as, as do you believe that there's a better way to do it, <laughs> but I do remember, I do, I do totally recommend the book, Mere Christianity, which is a little misleading. The title sounds like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the title makes it sound different than it is, but C.S. Lewis, who also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, was an atheist until he wasn't. And, 
he eventually... can say it all better than I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and we're um, really good friends, and both of them. Uh, I know. And that's the coolest. Ended up being Anglicans. Yep, and that's one of the coolest things to me because I like love Tolkien too. So, um, yeah. Yeah, most of, I always say to people, like, if you went out today and you, like, had a decent experience at the post office or someone did something nice for you or, like, let you cut in line or was that extra helpful, there's a good chance that they were a Christian. Like, I'm not saying 100% that they were, but they, they, there's a very good chance that they were as opposed to, the, like, the bad, the bad image of people who were, like, you know, Telling them, telling everyone they're going to hell. Before <laughs> uh, I let you go, I will tell you my favorite evangelism story. Yeah. All right. So we've all encountered uh, Christians that were like, "Can I, you know, the can I talk to you about Jesus?" People or the ones that sneak it into the conversation that you can tell they have an ulterior motive. Right. My favorite person was this elderly Vietnamese man, and he was on the street corner. Carrying a small cross, just smiling and waving to everybody. And that was it. He was just standing there, smiling, <laughs> holding a cross, and waving at everybody. And did people talk to him? People talked to him. You know, yep. he said hi to people. They said hi back. You know, and that was it. Yep. Like, yeah. And he's yeah. like, how you doing? I was like, you know what? You made my day. Just because yeah. he did what he thought. And I was like, today I'm just going to go wave and be nice to everybody. Yeah, and I mean, really, that's really, I mean, it's funny because even as, even metaphorically, that's really a good way to look at it. You know, he has his cross, so you see who he is, and then he treats you nicely for no reason, and smiles at you and makes, you you know, and makes your day better. (laughs) That's a really good thing. It was either St. Augustine or or St. Francis of Assisi that said, go out and preach the gospel and when need be, use words. And yes, yes. He lived yep. up to that mantra. That's amazing. And it's also, like I said, I mean, it's just so cool, especially because it's about to be Christmas, that, like, literally this is not the first conversation this week that I've had with someone I was doing an interview with that, like, just randomly, like, we're both like, oh. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and then again, I, you know, for any listeners out there, it's a good time of year to hear two people who are not crazy um, talking about their faith. <laughs> Most of us aren't crazy, by the way. Not, you know. I mean, I might be crazy in other ways, but not in that way. So. <laughs> but if you'd like to make a donation to Catherine and mine's upcoming church and website, no. One hundred percent. No. <laughs> I'm teasing. I always have to make fun of the TV evangelists because I. I know. Really it's true. Fascinated by them. Yes, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but I also see this, like, there's worse things that people can spend their money on if they want to. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, God love them all. <laughs> I, I, I just have to tease. Uh, so, let's remind everybody, Catherine Tabor, thank you so much. Haven's End is available now on digital and DVD. Cat Tabor on Twitter, where she will ignore you if you bring up politics. Cat Tabor on Instagram if you want to see her cool pictures and CatherineTabor.com so you can find out more cool stuff, her bio and everything else uh, that's going on in uh, in Catherine's life. Thank you so much and we'll probably be talking again around Easter. Yeah, exactly. No, thank you. You're so much fun. And by the way, you have like a really good voice. Uh, so, you know, you should probably do like a podcast or something. Well, I have been training with a couple of your colleagues. So. 
Oh, interesting. Well, you do, you have a great voice. So, um, yes, I, I do look forward to uh, talking to you around Easter. Hopefully I'll have another project to talk about. And um, in the meantime, Merry Christmas and God bless and may the force be with you. Merry Christmas and God bless you too. Happy New Year. God willing, 2021 is going to be better. Yes.